This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. A man is trying to have a nice, relaxing nap on his couch. Until the world of the paranormal wakes him up. And then we take a look at an amazing story that took place 19,000 feet in the air. It was supposed to be a simple delivery on a FedEx plane. Instead, it turned into a life-and-death encounter in the not-so-friendly skies, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day, too. Hope you guys are ready for a wham-bam, action-packed episode. You're like, no, I'm not. You're trying to get your homework done. You're trying to get your finals done. You're trying to relax. Wake up! No relaxing this episode. First off, let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter coming in with giant bags of stimulants for us all. We gotta stay up. It's William Fontaine de la Tour d'Atrieve. And hopefully I just didn't out you as a as a speed dealer. They're not real stimulants, officer. They're magical stimulants. Which are twice as powerful and ten times more illegal. William, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, or if you're not a drug dealer like William, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. It really, really helps out a lot. After after we pay William's bail and get him out of jail, William, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind. We're going to leave behind lockup. And we are headed out to Chrisfield, Maryland. <laughs> This story was recommended to us by Kent Allard, longtime listener Kent Allard. He actually recommended two previous stories to us, and all of these stories take place in the town of Crisfield, Maryland. This town has a population of 2,726 people. We have three episodes. We have three episodes from this town. This town is basically seven dead kids away from being Pennywise territory. It's a lot of spookiness, a lot of high strangeness for such a small town. This story and the other ones came from a history book about Crisfield and the surrounding area. So thank you, Kent, for sending this over. We're at a little house on Charlotte Avenue. Don't mean to dox you. Don't mean to dox you. The story is from 1943, so I'm pretty sure you're dead. It's not like I'm not saying it like it's a good thing, but I don't think you can dox the dead. You're like, hey, look at that gravestone over there. That's Abraham Lincoln. We're at this little house on Charlotte Avenue. It's the home of Captain Jim Tucker. And it's July 19th, 1943. And Captain Jim Tucker is out there working on his boat. And he's like, ah, the pirate's life. I'm not a pirate. The captain's life for me, he says. And he's like working on his boat. He's like, that's, I'm done. It's all leaking. There's a bunch of barnacles trying to pilot it away. He's like, I'm done. He leaves it because it's too hot outside. It's July in Maryland. He's walking back to his house. He goes, you know what, I'm just going to lay on my couch, catch a couple Z's, and wake up later. <laughs> Hopefully my boat is still afloat, and I will finish working on it. But as he's laying down, he feels a hot flash right in his face. <laughs> Wakes him up. You know what that is, right? Could be a fireball. That's pretty much the only thing it could be, right? He jumps up. He jumps up off the couch. And he's trying to figure out what it was, and he realizes now his entire house is as hot as it is outside. 
which is not what you want, <laughs> which is not what you want. That's why we have houses in the first place, for it to be different than the elements. And while he's trying to figure out what's going on, Martha, Martha, did you feel, did you feel that? He's looking over, he has this mirror in his living room. It's a big round mirror, it's about 24 inches in diameter. And he's looking at the mirror and he goes, oh my god. Word starts getting around town. Captain Jim Tucker is going around town. He's a bit of a braggart. He's a bit of a boaster. He's going around town. He goes, guys, you won't believe what just happened. I was outside working on my boat. It was super hot outside. It went in the house. House was as hot as it was outside. They're like, maybe you should shut the door when you go. And he's like, no, you don't let me finish the story. And the mirror is magic. I have a magical mirror now. (laughs) Didn't you know that? I probably should have started with that instead of the whole lead up about fixing my boat. So people are like, we want to see your magical mirror, of course. No one's going to be like, ah, I'll check it out later. I got better things to do. Everyone's coming to his house to check out this magical mirror. Now, this is what was going on. This, is, was, this was reported in the Chrisfield Times newspaper. On the one hand, it's really weird that the newspaper is reporting this story. On the other hand, previously, they reported a story about a man who shot a photo of a witch, thinking it would kill the witch. Instead, the bullets went through the photo... <laughs> went through the photo and into the house next door, making the next door neighbor scream. Slow news day or just the coolest town ever, you decide. This is what's going on with this mirror. When you look at it, it takes a second for you to see it, but then you see an island. You see an island with palm trees off in the distance. And it's not like you're looking at a drawing. I know when I was reading this story, I was imagining like the far side, just like a little cartoon island. No, this looked like you were looking through a window. You were seeing a island covered in palm trees off in the distance and then up to nine different ships. They said there were some tankers, some freighters, some warships. They didn't actually make it. It wasn't cool enough. It wasn't television. It wasn't making sound effects. But they're watching these boats go by. All hands on deck. Oddly enough, the newspaper described one of the ships like... Because the journalist of the Critchfield Times... Went here as well. First, it was just a bunch of Captain Jim's drunk buddies coming from the bar. And then it really word spread in town. The journalist, he might have been he might have been a drunk too, for all I know. He is reporting on witches. He has this quote he wrote in his article, quote, One ship has its stern up out of the water, so the keel can be seen and apparently is about to plunge beneath the sea. Unquote. So again, it's not like just these vague images. It's action-packed. <laughs> Something's about to go down here. This story's taking place in 1943. So during 1943, Captain Jim Tucker had a lot of relatives, a lot of young men he knew, in the Pacific fighting against the Japanese. And everyone in town knew at least one person who was overseas, and a good portion of them were in the Navy, and a good portion of them were in the Pacific Front So he's looking at this, and he's afraid it might be an omen. Obviously, the island with the palm trees would make you think tropical. And then the warships and the boat that looks like it's about to go under kind of made him think it was an omen. That's the end of the article, though. We don't have any more information. This is a collection in this History of Chrisfield book. It's This particular section is some of their weirdest articles. Some weird true crime, some weird paranormal stuff like this. So this was actually reported in this newspaper. I was able to verify this newspaper existed when I covered it on previous episodes. But there's no follow-up to it. 
We don't know if his loved ones made it home safely. We don't even know how long the images lasted. They lasted long enough for multiple people in town to see it, but after this article was reported, we don't know if you could still see them to this day. Is there a mirror somewhere in Crisfield, Maryland? (laughs) The most cursed town in the United States that is still displaying this image, or a different image now. Something else, something showing another vision of a future or a past or something happening right then, but across the world. And what did the hot flash have to do with anything? It, here's the thing. It would be one thing if he came in and had like a heat stroke. He's like, oh, I shouldn't have been drinking all that seawater while I was working on my boat. And saw this. That'd be totally one thing. You And it could still be reported in the newspaper. Very, very slow news day. Mance ever heat stroke hallucinates. But the fact that other people were able to see it as well. Why? What was up with the heat? Was that creating the effect in the mirror? Like, is that what opened the portal of the mirror? Was it something completely unrelated to it? It's just a weird story. It's one of those stories that I like. Sometimes I love stories that have concrete answers. I love solving mysteries. But you don't get that a lot in this line of work. And then I like the stories like this that are just super open-ended. We don't know if this is some sort of magic mirror. We don't know if this is some sort of fortune-telling mirror, which is the same thing, technically. But you know what I mean? Like, was this a ghost event? Was this telling the future? Was it an alternate reality? Was it showing him in another world? Like, what what was behind this? What crafted this? That's what I like about the story. We don't have a concrete answer. It's not aliens. It's not ghosts. Not demons. We don't know what it is. It's just a mirror. And the reason why I like those stories is because they're the stories that can happen to anybody. And also, it's not terrible, right? Not like he looked in the mirror and saw himself holding his eyes out and he goes, Soon. Like, that's not fun. I don't want that to happen to anybody. But if tomorrow I went to go brush my teeth and I'm looking in the mirror and I see like a boat sailing by and I see a bunch of dudes singing a sea shanty, that's cool. I'm in the shower. They're like, yo, ho, ho. I'm trying to sleep. They're all, yo, ho, ho. That would get annoying after a while. But I'd still invite people over to see it. Um, I wouldn't invite them over to see an image of themselves holding their eyeballs going, soon. They're like, Jason, I don't know if I want to come over to your place. All your friends have cut their eyeballs out. I'm like, what? That's fake news, dude. Come on over, man. Nothing's going to happen. Yet. William. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We're going up, up, and away. we got to get high in this story. Not the type that requires all those stimulants. William, I'm going to toss you the keys to this Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Crisfield, Maryland. I have no doubt we will be there again soon because there's a bunch more articles from there. We are headed out to Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to Graceland. Graceland. Every so often... And this is one of the things I love about doing this show. Every so often I come across stories that I can't wait to tell you guys. And I'll tell people about them. I'll tell people about them. They're like having lunch with me. And I'm like, guys, you won't believe this. This is one of those stories. This is one of those stories. I don't want to hype it up too much. But when I read it, I was like, dude, this is so dope. And it happened in most of our lifetimes. And I never heard of this before. William, go ahead and land us here at this airport in Memphis, Tennessee. It's April 7th, 1994, and I got most of my information from an article written by Max Garland for the Memphis Commercial Appeal. We're walking around this airport. We're walking around with our aviator glasses, our cool jumpsuits. The theme song to Iron Eagle is playing in the background. When I did that last story, right, 
when I did the story about the mirror, I go, oh, Captain Jim Tucker. And I always like to dig a little bit more. I wanted to find out, I wanted to find out, like, did he lose a loved one in the war? What happened to him? Did he ever get his boat repaired? These are questions I needed answered. So when I typed in Captain Jim Tucker, this story came up because the story has a Jim Tucker in it. So oddly enough, whether it was fate that brought me to this awesome story, whether this is his descendant, who knows? Maybe he survived a boat tipping over in the Pacific. And he's here now, but it's April 7th, 1994. There's a FedEx flight, a Federal Express flight that's going to take packages from Memphis, Tennessee to San Jose, California. It is a routine flight on a DC-10 cargo plane. In this plane, you had Captain David Sanders, First Officer Jim Tucker, and Flight Engineer Andy Peterson. Now, they were actually called in. This story is so dope because it's just weird the way fate works. These three dudes were all called into the last minute because the crew that was supposed to fly this DC-10, it was a man and a woman. They had worked one minute over the FAA-regulated shift. Like, if you work over this shift, you can't fly a plane. Safety reasons. They worked one minute over their shift, so the FedEx guys go, well, we're going to have to bring in another crew. We can't, we can't take the risk. That, you know, of course you'd go, well, oh, come on, man, one minute? Well, we can't do it. So they bring in David, Jim, and Andy. Now, these are three... I've never met these guys, but the article described them as they're pretty broad-shouldered guys. These are not... If you had to fight three pilots in the world, you wouldn't want to fight these three, right? Maybe you wouldn't want to fight the Red Baron either. I'm sure there's other guys. Louis Gossett Jr. as well, but definitely not these three guys. They're not Arnold, but they're also... You know, they're they're broad-shouldered. They're pretty fit dudes getting into this plane. Now, this plane is not headed to a bodybuilding contest. It doesn't matter how physically fit they are on any other flight. On any other flight in the world, it would not matter that these three dudes are on it. They're getting ready to take off. It's a routine flight. And this other employee of FedEx shows up and he's like, Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Do you mind if I take a jump seater? And they're like, Yeah, sure. No problem. A jump seater is where any employee of FedEx, apparently, I, I don't know if it's like the guy working at the FedEx store in your neighborhood, but if you are a FedEx employee, you can catch a flight. You're basically mail yourself. If you're at the airport, you go, hey, can I just, because the plane's going out there anyways, can I just hop on board since you're going out there anyways? I'll go to San Jose, California. Yeah, sure. Jump on. His name is Auburn Calloway. Now, David, Jim, and Andy are pretty fit. Auburn is buff. Auburn is this big buff dude who gets on the plane and he has a black belt in martial arts. And a guitar case. That's his only luggage is a guitar case. They're like, oh, this is dope. <laughs> Hopefully there's a guitar in there and he'll play some jaunty tunes. Now, what they didn't know is that Auburn is a man with a plan. Not a good one. But a man with a plan. He was about to get called into corporate. The very next day, he was going to have to go to corporate, and he was going to get a disciplinary action labeled against him. And he believes he's going to get fired. So he has a, he's a man with a bad plan. When the plane is getting ready to take off is when we start getting the black box recording of what's going on. So there is a full audio recording out there of all the events on this flight. There's a transcript, a written transcript, but if you want to talk about lost media, the black box for this flight is nuts. 
The flight starts off totally normal. They're doing their checks, hitting buttons and stuff like that. The plane taxis, it takes off, it's in the air. The crew is in the cockpit. David, Jim, Andy, they're just sitting in the cockpit flying the plane. And Captain Jim is sitting there. And then all of a sudden, he hears a commotion. It happens so quickly, he, he's not really thinking about what's going on. But he hears this commotion in the cockpit, and he turns and he looks. And he sees Jim and Andy slumped over, blood gushing out of their head. In an instant, Auburn launched his attack. So Auburn's plan was this. He figured he was getting fired. He hated FedEx. So, two birds with one stone. Or technically, three pilots with two hammers. He decided this. He, he took out a lot of life insurance on himself, and he took out workplace death and dismemberment insurance, accidental insurance at work, stuff like that. His plan was to get on this plane and crash it. Everyone on the plane would be dead, including him, and his family would make a lot of money. But he also wanted to make sure, I mean, obviously if there's a plane crash and there's a bunch of bullet holes, people would know something was up. So he brought weapons that would mimic a plane crash death. He had two claw hammers, two mallets, and a spear gun. So Captain Jim's sitting there. He hears this commotion. He turns, and within a second... Both of his co-workers are slumped over, blood pouring out of their heads, and he sees this dude with two... He came in with both hammers and started hitting them at the same time. So hard, knocked him out. Captain Jim puts his arm up to start deflecting these hammer blows. They're in the air. They're 19,000 feet in the air. He's getting hit with his hammer. Captain Jim knows this is a matter of life and death. This is not a normal hijacking. The guy's not going to take the plane to Cuba and make demands or anything like that. He's going to try to murder himself and his crewmate. So he starts fighting back in the cockpit of the cabin. But as this fight's going on, Jim and Andy start to come too. What? What what just happened, man? We're just sitting here, all of a sudden blood shooting out of my head. A full-on brawl is now going on in this cockpit. The plane is still in flight, and everyone but Auburn is bleeding profusely. They are able to push Auburn out of the cockpit, but he grabs his spear gun and aims it right at Andy's face. And blood is just pouring down Andy's face. He can barely see what's going on. All he sees is this spear gun aimed right at his head. He grabs that spear gun and he just lands on top of him. And they're wrestling over this spear gun now. Captain Sanders jumps out of the cockpit. He's fighting over the spear gun as well. The only person left flying the plane is Jim Tucker. And he's sitting there at the control panel. And he is trying to make sense of everything. And at this point, this is happening so quickly, no one has radioed in to traffic control. The plane is in flight. As far as ground control knows, everything is A-OK. There's just blood squirting everywhere. Jim Tucker is sitting at the cockpit. And he hears his two co-workers beating this guy up. And they're not doing that well. They are grievously wounded. And they're fighting against this guy who has weapons, who was prepared, and is a martial art black belt. Jim Tucker wants to get up and fight. 
the plane's on autopilot. It's going to be able to go straight for a while. It's going to be able to fly a bit for a while. So all three of them can fight. But Jim Tucker, from that rain of hammer blows, the very first attack, he's paralyzed now on the right side of his body. So he can't get up and fight. He's sitting in the cockpit of this DC-10 cargo plane. And he hears a fight for survival happening eight feet away from him. And if that fight goes sour, he's next. First thing he does is he tips the plane nose up, sending all of the combatants rolling towards the back of the plane, even his buddies, right? He's trying to give them an edge. He tips the plane up and he hears them start rolling down the aisle. Fight continues. He's in a DC-10 cargo plane. He does a barrel roll. If you don't know much about cargo planes, they are not designed to fly upside down for any amount of time. He does a barrel roll in this DC-10. And at that point, ground control realizes something's up. They notice that this plane is flying upside down. So now ground control is calling into the flight. Uh, what's going on? We noticed your plane. We noticed your plane's acting kind of weird, dude. It's upside down. And as he's doing this barrel roll, this is the way combatants think. When your life or the life of your loved ones, your teammates, your crew are in danger, you think incredibly fast. As he's doing this barrel roll, he knows that this is throwing everyone off their guard. But he also knows eventually the barrel roll has to end. If you were in a fight and all of a sudden you get thrown into this role, you're in a fight in an airplane, you're thrown into this role, you would know eventually this role is going to end. So all I got to do is hold on until the role is complete and then I can get back up. He knew that he had to keep Auburn off balance because he was going to mop these two dudes up. The other two dudes had too much damage to him. He didn't know this dude was a martial art. He didn't come in wearing his black belt. But just from his size, you knew that this was going to be a tough fight. And he didn't have blood shooting out of his brain. So as he's coming out of the barrel roll, and this plane was never designed for a barrel roll, a TC-10 has never done a barrel roll intentionally. As he's coming out of the barrel roll, he goes, okay, I got to do something else to keep Auburn off of his guard. Buy some time. The plane's coming out of the barrel roll. He does a nosedive. No DC-10 in history has ever flown as fast as Flight 705 did. He's in that nosedive, and they said that as he was performing these maneuvers, the fighters went from a moment of being weightless to having more than three times their weight in G-forces on top of them. And he's hitting this nosedive, and he's watching the instruments showing the speed. These DC-10s were built to hit like 510 miles per hour. And he's going... He's going, he's doing this nosedive, and he's watching the instruments, and he, he's going so fast the instruments can't even register how fast he's going. The problem is, <laughs> the problem is, he might have postponed the fight a bit. He needs to now level the plane up. The problem is, is that to do that easily, he needs to de-throttle. The throttle control is on his right side. He's paralyzed. He can't move his right arm or his right leg. So as this DC-10 is flying faster than any DC-10 in history, straight towards the Earth, Jim Tucker, fighting that control, finally, finally able to level the plane off, reaches over, decelerates the plane, hits the call button, and says, 
Hey, FAA, yeah, sorry about all that stuff. It happened so quickly. Guys, we're under attack. There's a dude on here. He's being a sub. We need police in the, at the airport right now. We're turning around. We're headed back to Memphis. The flight had only been going for about 30 minutes. So they came back around. And air traffic control goes, we're going to have everyone there for you. We'll have police. We'll have paramedics. You land that plane, we'll take care of it. And when the plane landed, the paramedics were actually the first to board. They were the first there. Paramedics were the ones that handcuffed Auburn. The article said that when the paramedics got on board, it looked like a grenade exploded because there was so much blood. These guys were just bleeding out of their head and punching and rolling around on the ground and having G4. There was just blood everywhere. Auburn didn't really have an alibi. He really didn't have an excuse for that. He's like, no, no, it was the other guy. He parachuted out and I'm his evil twin. I mean, he's a good twin. I'm the good twin. He actually got life in prison for this. Luckily, all three dudes fully recovered from this. The one who had the worst was Jim Tucker. He was paralyzed for about two years, but over time, he regained use of his arm and his leg. He's still blind in one eye. I mean, that's how vicious this attack was. Remember, he was only attacked for just like a couple seconds in the initial flurry of hammer blows, but it was enough to paralyze him for two years and then still lose sight in one eye. But man, can you... This is one of those stories... So you can read the transcript. Um, let me read you part of the transcript. I thought this this was the, this is the black box recording. I would love to hear, because everyone survived, but I'd love to hear the audio of this. Let me read you a clip of this black box recording here. Do you live uh, over in Arkansas? These are the crew, this is the crew talking. Do you live over in Arkansas, Dave? Or, nah, I live in Fisherville. Ah, Fisherville, great spot. Sounds of hammer blows striking pilots. Ow! God! Oh, ah! God Almighty! Ow! What the F are you doing? God! Ugh! God Almighty! God! God! Get him! Get him! Get him! He's gonna kill us! Get him! Get up! Get him! I can't! This wouldn't have been funny. I would not have read this if they had all died horribly. I don't think they were saying, Ow! I don't, I don't know if that's an actual word people say. But, um, yeah, it has the whole transcript. It goes all the way to when they land, basically. you. It ends when the door is being opened. And, yeah, they're fighting him to the very end. They're fighting him to the very end. But uh, they stop him. So an amazing, amazing story. Yeah, look at it. He's still fighting for the hammer at the very end. The plane is still landing. And he's still trying to grab one of the hammers. Man, relentless. Very, very interesting story. I would be shocked if this hasn't been made into a movie or a TV movie or something like that. It's a fascinating, action-packed adventure. The heroes win. The villains lose. It, I didn't even know this happened. It happened in my lifetime. There is action and adventure everywhere. You don't want to live through it, right? I'm not saying I want to be one of these dudes. I'm not saying, oh, man, my life sucks. I wish some guy attacked me with a hammer. Absolutely not. But it's cool to know that when the action starts, there's real heroes out there to stop it. They're just trying to do their job. They're just trying to deliver some mail. Instead, they go toe-to-toe with a big buff martial artist in a plane. He's wielding weapons, and they win. Not just using their fists. They use plenty of those. Not just using their wits, but using physics. Turning that plane into a ever-changing battlefield. Fascinating story fascinating story 
Thank you, Captain David Sanders, First Officer Jim Tucker, and Flight Engineer Andy Peterson. Truly heroes of the skies. None of them flew. None of them ever flew again after this. They were all done. They were all like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm probably getting pretty good retirement from FedEx. But the plane, despite it going faster than any DC-10 had ever done, despite it doing a barrel roll, and these planes are not designed, they've never been tested to do a barrel roll, still flew for years and years after that. Came out without a scratch. That is the story of Flight 705. They thought they were just going to deliver some packages. Instead, they delivered some punches into the face of a madman. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. 